America is underway here on ESPN Plus. Hercules Gomez, Sebastian Salazar, Herc, our good friend Fernando Palomo can make almost, almost anything sound good. That may be not the best example. Oh, our boy Serginho struggling there, huh? It's mental at this point. It's confidence. We will discuss that uh, throughout this episode of Football Americas. Plenty coming your way. We're only maybe, Herc, a few hours away from kickoff of the CONCACAF Champions League final between Rayados and Club America. We're going to have Mauricio Pedrosa join us for a full preview of another all-Mexican affair to decide the champions of the region. We got Carly Lloyd's last international game to celebrate her, and we asked the question if she is the most clutch player in U.S. women's national team history. There's a long list, so it could be a, a good debate. Plus, you've made some new friends in the Northeast. The New England Revolution have set another record oh. on this MLS campaign, yet mm -hmm. somehow you are the least popular person in Boston. However, Herc, whoa, 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 however. Whoa. In New England on Twitter. That's not, act, yeah, you know that's not the real world. Uh, as unpopular <laughs> as you are among New England fans, you are slightly more popular than Ronald Koeman in Barcelona. Although, mm. to be fair, we don't know if right now Ronald Koeman is even still in the city of Barcelona. He was sacked on Wednesday, just uh, hours after Barcelona lost one nothing against Rayo Vallecano. That, of course, just coming a few days after defeat in El Clasico. It's the third loss in four league games for Barcelona. Drops them, Herc, to ninth in the table. In the match against Rayo Vallecano, Serginho Dest did play the full 90, just like El Clasico. And just like the game against Real Madrid, he missed a golden chance to score. He also nearly set up Cunagüero uh, late in the match for what could have been an assist. However, Barcelona lose the game, and as a result, they lose their manager. For more context, we bring in Alex Pareja. Alex, you are the perfect person to bring in here, not just because you have a UEFA coaching license, and you can give us the tactics. However, because you're from Barcelona, so you're going to know this on a, on a different mm -hmm. emotional level uh, than Herc and I. Let, let, let's start there. So I have a lot of friends that are Barcelona fans, and I think the word relief is probably the, the best emotion that comes to mind when I hear them talk about Ronald Koeman finally being out of the job. From the people you know in Barcelona, what, what emotions are they feeling now that Koeman is out? Hi guys, uh, relief, uh, I don't know, joy, happiness, almost like New England Revolution f fans uh, when, when they finally got the, the title, the, the MLS uh, uh, Supporter Shield, and also the, the, they broke the record of, of points of the LAFC. It's relief, it's basically relief. This was a nightmare uh, since the beginning of, of the season. Uh, Ronald Koeman, and we've talked about this before, uh, he shouldn't have... Uh, started that, that this season this uh, this new era of Barcelona, starting with Joao Laporta, uh, had to had a, a new manager, someone that could uh, instill some some joy, some some uh, proud, uh, pride on, on Barcelona fans. And Ronald Koeman wasn't the fan. So everyone that I know in Barcelona, I'm not saying that they're dancing and chanting on the streets, but almost. Hmm. Uh, one person that may not be dancing or chanting in the streets, we would think, uh, is Serginho Dest, who has obviously been very linked to Koeman throughout Koeman's time in charge of Barcelona. So uh, what do you think here, Alex? Is this good news or bad news for Serginho Dest? 
I'll tell you something, in the short term, obviously, it's bad news for him, because uh, Ronald Koeman really trusted in Serginho Dest, uh, maybe because of uh, their dad's connection, I don't know, uh, but he played him uh, almost always that he was uh, uh, available, that he was fit, and he played him in several positions, so Serginho Dest was a Ronald Koeman man. So that means that in the short term, these are bad news for Serginho, but in the, in the long run, think about the chance, the opportunity that he has from now on once Xavi Hernandez uh, takes the reins of, of Barcelona. He will work with a coach who was regarded not that long ago, five, six, seven years ago, as one of the best midfielders, but also, and this is the most important thing, one of the smartest players in the world. A player, Xavi Hernandez, or now a coach, that learned uh, since he was a kid, the Johan Cruyff's playbook, a, a guy who played under Pep Guardiola, a guy who's developing his style in Qatar, but still uh, developing his style, uh, following that pattern, that, that path, that is a huge opportunity for, for Serginho Dest. And one of the main tasks, one of the main goals of, of Xavi Hernandez will be developing young talent. Everyone is thinking about Gabi, who is 17, Nico, who is 18, Pedri, who is 18. But remember, Serginho is just 20. He's turning 21 next week. So this is a huge chance, a huge opportunity for him in the long term. Yeah, in the long term, if he's still there. Xavi Hernandez, legendary coach, would want to go back to La Masia. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Serginho came from Ajax. 30 million to him. And he's a, he's, let's, let's be honest, Ronald Koeman is his guy. Ronald Koeman signs in August. Serginho comes October 1st for 30 million. So if he's still there, he's still very attractive offense for a lot of clubs around the world. He was rumored to be sold. So let's see how that pans out. You mentioned Xavi Hernandez, uh, Alex. So how much, I guess, uh, leeway will he have? Will they be patient with Xavi Hernandez? Oh, he will. He should. He should have a lot of, of uh, pa uh, patience. I mean, all the people, fans, Barcelona fans, will have a lot of uh, patience. His leash will be longer than Route 66 or longer than the Lord of the Rings trilogy because everyone in everyone in Barcelona have been waiting have been, have been waiting for for Xavi Hernandez he's seen as the chosen one but not now in the summertime everyone was claiming uh, Joao Laporta everyone was asking Joao Laporta to uh, sack Ronald Koeman and to to hire Xavi Hernandez uh, he's been appointed uh, as, as FC Barcelona's manager over the last years uh, uh, several times already everyone knew that Xavi was going to be sooner rather than later FC Barcelona's manager so everyone is going to have uh, a lot of patience with him everyone knows in Barcelona that uh, there's no money in the bank so they cannot sign uh, top class players so they need to develop them and Xavi is the right person to do it and the most important thing Xavi has an idea and, and Xavi has that Johan Cruyff idea that uh, has proven already successful for Barcelona under Cruyff himself and under Guardiola so Everyone in Barcelona, at least for this season, uh, will give uh, Xavi a lot of credit and, and a lot of time. Uh, don't get me wrong, Xavi won't make Barcelona look better. Um, Barcelona are not Champions League uh, contenders anymore, mm. and, and they won't be under Xavi Hernandez. But at least people need to know that there's a plan, that there's right. an idea, and Xavi is the ideal man for that. They better be patient because it looks like a, a long rebuild back to the top for Barcelona. And from Sergio Dest's yep. perspective, right, you don't want to keep changing managers. 
He had settled in with Ronald Koeman. You don't want to see a, the rotating door start to affect his development. Let's talk about the positions, though, Alex, that he's playing, kind of the different roles, because we've now seen him for four games at that right wing spot, right? Three games in the league uh, and one game in the Champions League. We got no goals uh, and two very, very big misses. We can't ignore those. We also have a, a couple yep. assists and probably what should have been a third assist, if we're being honest, uh, to Aguero against Rayo Vallecano just the other day. If we look at this as an experiment, Serginho Dest as a right winger, has it been a successful experiment or a failed experiment, in your opinion? I would say a failed experiment, but, but not entirely. And it's not Serginho's fault. Uh, remember that we talked about that uh, last week. Serginho was, uh, was the alibi for Ronald Koeman for uh, playing uh, five in the back in disguise. So yes, technically, Serginho Dest was the right winger, but when Barcelona were off the ball, Ronald Koeman forced him to track back and to join the, the rest of the defense line. So they were uh, defending with a, with a back uh, line of, of five members. Uh, and that uh, requires a lot of effort and, and, and that can be very tiresome for, for a player. That drains your energy because you have to uh, drag back, uh, to track back, sorry, but then you also have to join the attack. And I think that Serginho Dest is a is a very skillful player, but he doesn't have the magic that a proper winger needs to needs to have. I think he's he's a decent uh, player coming from behind. His real his real danger uh, is when he's a right back or a left back. We may talk about that and uh, joins the attack uh, from behind and and. And that comes with, for uh, some sort of a surprise for, for, for the opposition team. If, if they know that he's already there and he's not that skillful uh, in one-on-one in -on -one situations, uh, he's not going to make that harm to, to the opposition. So uh, I think that it was failed, but it wasn't entirely his fault. I see Xavi thinking of uh, Serginho Dest as a right back or as a left back, because one of the plans that uh, Xavi Hernandez has for Barcelona is completing the renovation, the overhaul of, of the roster. And one of the vacas sagradas, as, as they call them in Barcelona, the holy cows of Barcelona that needs to be replaced is Jordi Alba. And there's no replacement other than Alejandro Valde, who is 17. So Xavi may use him as a right back but also as a left-back sometimes. Yeah, I, I agree with you that it's a felt experiment in the sense that that's not his natural position and it didn't go well for him on mm -hmm. the offensive side of the ball. You explained very well last week how it's an in-disguise on the defensive side. He's still a very much a right-back and very much in that plan for, for Ronald Koeman. Mm -hmm. uh, Sergi Barjuan is going to be the interim coach here. I'm curious if this affects Serginho in the immediate. Is his position safe on the field in that 11? I don't think so. I don't think nobody's position is safe. Once a new a new coach enters a dressing room, it's like kind of resetting the game. Uh, obviously, Piquet, Busquets, uh, the mentioned Jordi Alba uh, should be, uh, I don't know, a, a little bit more quiet than, than, than usual because they know that Sergio Barjuan will only manage the team for two, three game stops uh, uh, before Xavi Hernandez arrives. 
but uh, these managerial changes and Herc uh, knows um, <laughs> better than anyone else uh, put everyone in their toes so yeah. and that's good for for the dressing and, room and, the, and that's good for Serginho as well yeah. that's the reason I say it Ali is because I've been in this position before and there's a new coach and he wants to put his own stamp on things so he wants to get maybe his own players there and everybody's on edge and nothing's guaranteed and I've been in Serginho's position before where the guy who brought you in brought you in excuse me leaves you're in limbo and oftentimes it's a scary place to be for a player I have to say, guys, I am very, very surprised. I'm very, very surprised that we're ready to pull the plug on the Serginho Dest at right wing experiment. I mean, think about hmm. it, right? Think about how close we are to a very different narrative. If he scores one of or both of those goals, we're, we found yeah. the new right wing for Barcelona. And Ronald, Ronald Koeman is still here. Is still in a job, right? So, so he's getting into the right spots. He's had the right opportunities. And Alex, beyond that, how many other options are there really for Barcelona in that right wing spot? Like, is Coutinho really that guy? Not really. Dembele is, is on the verge of coming back, but you can't count on him to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. And even if he plays, Alex, you know that they're going to manage his minutes uh, a lot. So I think we may not be done seeing Serginho Dest as a right wing, even if you guys think the experiment has failed just out of necessity. Uh, do you agree with me a little there, Alex, that, that we may see more of Dest yeah. just because there aren't other options? It, it depends on how many uh, healthy players uh, are, are available. If, if uh, Dembélé uh, regains his fitness, uh, he should be the right winger. And, and on the left, you can play Memphis Depay and you can play uh, El Kun Agüero as a, as a uh, center forward. Uh, there's also Demir, uh, that Austrian kid yeah. that... Uh, played an amazing, amazing soccer during the preseason, and he only had like two games under Ronald Koeman, and he totally disappeared. He played uh, a little bit the other day against Rayo Vallecano, and, and he's uh, another good option. You can also play Sergi Roberto as a right winger. I didn't understand why Sergi Roberto was playing behind Serginho Des the other day at, at Rayo Vallecano. Uh, you have plenty of options. You can also play Gabi, and, and that means that you can, uh, you can have an extra midfielder in disguise as well. Well, uh, yeah, some I don't I don't say that Xavi won't use uh, ever uh, Serginho as a as a right winger, but uh, I think that the, his his main task uh, is going to be right back or left back. All right, gentlemen, we will uh, leave it there for now. Alex Pareja, thanks as always for your time. You can catch him right here on ESPN Plus. Primer toque is all over our English and Spanish language coverage of La Liga as well. Speaking of, FC Barcelona against Matt Miazga's Alaves. That match, Saturday, 2.50 p.m. Eastern Time, 11.50 a.m. Pacific Time, of course, available exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Also on ESPN+, Plus, the League Cup, the Carabao Cup in England. Tournament Manchester City has won each of the last four years. Not going to win this year, though. They lost 5-3 in a penalty shootout over the weekend to West Ham. Zach Steffenhurt got the start, made two saves, so he kept the clean sheet but couldn't stop any of West Ham's five penalty shots in the penalty shootout. So Manchester City then out of the Carabao Cup. Hurt, from Zach Steffen's perspective, is this something, nothing, or everything? The fact that they are no longer in the Carabao Cup is everything because these were the games that he actually got to play. So that's a big deal to Zach Steffen. Those are less games you get to play, get to prove yourself at the highest of levels. So that is everything. The fact that 
he couldn't uh, save a penalty kick is nothing. Uh, this is a game that City should have dominated. I mean, 25 uh, shots against the opposition that you're playing against the, uh, as a visiting team, 65% possession, you completely dominate. Uh, Zach Steffen called upon a few times, does extremely well, but it's a penalty kick shootout. These are, these are shots that you should make if you're the offensive player, uh, but it's a lost opportunity in terms of the repetitions he could have gotten. Because that's the narrative right now is yep. Matt Turner is playing, Zach Steffen is not. Zach Steffen only plays these cup games. So you would assume that a team like City in the Carabao Cup would make it all the way to the final, would be one of the protagonists that is no longer in it. So those are less reps for him. So of course it's everything in that standpoint. I think it, it doesn't necessarily hurt him for this coming window, but let's think about the next window. You got three games starting on January 27th for the U.S. Home against El Salvador, away against Canada, home against Honduras. Very likely that you would think he'd be in the lineup to play one of those games, right? Based on what we've seen right. recently. The games that he's lost here, you would have had a, a quarterfinal the week of Christmas yeah. in the Carabao Cup. You lose that. And you would have had a two-leg semifinal the first and second week of January. So leading into those games, that next World Cup qualifying window... There's three matches here that he loses in the League Cup. So uh, I'm with you that it is, from a playing time standpoint, very, very significant. Also, Herc, if we look at Manchester City's schedule right now, I think they got three games left between here and the international break. He's probably not going to play in the league. He's probably not going to play in the Champions League because they need to win in the Champions League based right. on the defeat against PSG. So if you're watching from the stands and we're watching the horse race to November 12th, between Zach Steffen and Matt Turner. We're probably not going to see much more from Zach Steffen. Right now, does he have his neck out in front of Matt Turner, or is Matt Turner leading the race? So listening to Greg Berhalter and what he says about this, it leads me to believe, and these are Greg Berhalter's words, that different keepers, different games, for what the game dictates, what he will need out of that goalkeeper. Now, if you're going to play against Mexico, I don't care if you're home or away, you're probably on the back foot. You're probably defending. You're probably not possessing a lot of the ball. So you don't need a goalkeeper who's good with his feet and is good in possession. That would lead me to believe you feel mm. like you may come under pressure. Matt Turner is going to be that guy. But according to Greg Berhalter, the U.S. Soccer Podcast with Bobby Warshaw, and he's said this many a times, you're going to see both of them. You're going to see multiple goalkeepers depending on which game requires what from what goalkeeper he wouldn't go into specifics of who did what well but if you read between the lines possession-based game you're gonna see a lot of the ball you're gonna see Zach Steffen if you think you need more of a shot stopper if you think you need somebody who's gonna be more reactionary Matt Turner so I don't think by any means Zach Steffen is out of the mix Manchester City then losing to West Ham in a penalty shootout in the Carabao Cup speaking of cup competitions Herc, let's go to Germany Borussia Mönchengladbach featuring 18 year old American Joe Scally in the lineup beat Bayern Munich Herc, by a final score of get this 5-0. And this wasn't relaxed cup Bayern Munich. Lewandowski, Müller, Gnabry, Sané, Kimmich, Alfonso Davies, Upamecano, Neuer all in the lineup. It was Bayern's worst defeat since 1978. Scally Herc played a big role, subbed out in the 69th minute with the score already. 5-0. What do you want me to say about this kid? What do you want me to say? He wasn't called last time. He wasn't called for the World Cup qualifiers because Greg Berhalter, according to himself, wanted to go with more experienced players. He also admitted, same podcast, shout out to Bobby Warshaw, he's doing a great job out there, that against Panama, maybe he didn't start the most informed players. 
I'd argue right now, is there a more informed right back than Joe Scally? No, there is not. I do not see a scenario where this man is not seeing U.S. Men's National Team shirt in the near future. So Gladbach with uh, plenty of success this season so far against Byron. Of course, took points off him in the season opener. As for Scali, he has started every single game for Borussia Mönchengladbach so far this season, and he has finished all but one. Here's the youngster after the game. Yeah, I mean, what more could you ask for? 5-0 against Bayern. This is a, a crazy, it was a crazy game. It was a great result for us, and we're all just so happy now and just need to celebrate it and uh, grab this confidence into our next games. Like this power play in the first 20 minutes was so impressive. What was the plan before the match? Yeah, I mean, we always uh, play good against Bayern. It's always a game to get up for and be ready for, so we all had this energy, and we brought it out in the first 20 minutes, and we're up 3-0, and... I mean, that's all you could ask for. And last but not least, let us know how much time will it take until you fall asleep tonight. I will not fall asleep tonight. <laughs> all right, Herc. He will not sleep. Can you blame him? <laughs> uh, 18 years old, and he's already taken points multiple times off Bayern Munich in a short time so far in Germany. I'm supposed to ask you whether you think he's guaranteed himself a place don't in ask. the next World Cup qualifying roster. But you basically just said yes. So uh, let me ask the question then right. to you a little bit differently. Is his place on the team that you seem to say is guaranteed now based on his performances his with Gladbach, is his call-up guaranteed to be in the team? Or perhaps are we start talking about a guy who could be in the starting 11? Well, I think he most definitely will be in a starting 11. If you get called up, you're most definitely going to play. I think Greg Berhalter has proven that. On multiple occasions, he started over 20 players in those three-game windows in eight days. So that's going to be a given. Now, listen, when I spoke about those informed players that Greg Berhalter was mentioning, he didn't go and mention the player by name. But Shaq Moore was a player that played all of 59 minutes for Tenerife in the second division in Spain. He played that Panama game. He didn't do so well. Well, this is a player now that plays on the right or can play on the left. And he's yep. been named by the sporting director at Gladbach as the winner of the season for him. He's obviously informed. He's 18 years old. Bring him in. Get him acclimated. Let him get his feet wet and see what he can do. We talk about this depth that the U.S. men's national team has. I don't think it's depth. I think there are names, especially when it comes to that right back position. This, was, this is why Julian Araujo, to me, was such a loss. There are a lot of names in there. DeAndre Yedlin, Reggie Cannon, Shaq Moore, Brian Reynolds, Serginho Dest, and everybody else. A lot of noise here. There's a lot of names, not that much depth. Joe Scally can come in here and win himself a position. But you're not probably putting him ahead of Dest, right? And on the no. left side, you're probably not putting him ahead of Anthony Robinson? Nope. Right. Nope. Um, the very interesting thing about Joe Scal, you just look at the two games against Bayern. The game back in August against Bayern, he goes the full 90 minutes, Herc. He goes as a left back yeah. in a back four. Very different setup this time uh, for Gladbach in the game. He is in a 3-4-2-1. He's operating kind of as a right wing back. A guy that's that versatile. I mean, you, you of course he's going to be called right. up, you would assume, uh, under Greg Berhalter, who loves a versatile player, especially a versatile outside back. Uh, but I think you're right. I think we may well see him in a, in a starting 11 in one of those two games coming and, up And, and, in and if I may, very quickly, second like, match day of the season, because Bayern Leverkusen on our airways here on ABC, uh, he plays, gets burned early on. He learns from that. He adapted. He got better. Yeah, yeah. Clearly a player uh, with a massive trajectory right now. Let's run it back. Check in on a few more 
Americans abroad. We'll start in Syria. Juventus and Sassuolo. Weston McKinney scored in the 76th minute, Herc, to tie the game up at 1-1. Unfortunately, Sassuolo got a uh, late game winner as Juve lost for the first time in 10 across all competitions. Sammy, I'm going to let you take this one. I thought you were telling me Weston McKinney was finished. I thought you were telling me he was done. You were telling me he's not that guy. What happened? He contributed to the Juventus attack in ways which he should. Dominating aerially. He also contributed uh, here. Things getting heated. It's almost the Gordie Howe hat trick, right? He's got a goal. He's got a little bit of a scuffle. Where's the assist? That's all. Sh shout out to Timmy. <laughs> Come on. All Weston needs to do now is, is the, the hand gestures. And he's completely acclimated to Serie A. Yeah. Juventus. We saw Tuki pick that up pretty quick, huh? Yeah. Uh, Juventus in some in some early season trouble. Good goal here for Cameron Carter-Vickers for Celtic as they beat Hibernian 3-1 in Scotland. This is a good finish. It's a very calm left-footed finish. He guides the ball. It's not easy. He makes it look easy. In-step, side netting. Cameron Carter-Vickers. It's a big goal. A lot of talks right now. U.S. center backs. A lot of talks. He's 23 years old. You forget he's been, uh, been doing it for a long time. Christian Pulisic back at training for Chelsea Herc. Huge news for the United States. Huge news for Christian Pulisic as well. This week, Herc, Chelsea linked to, of all people, Eden Hazard uh, in recent days. Pulisic hasn't played for Chelsea since August 14th, and they're in first place without him. He needs to get back in that lineup. He hasn't played since September 8th. That's 50 days that he's been on the shelf. Chelsea needs him, but the U.S. men's national team needs him even more, and he's coming back just in time. Yeah, very interesting to see how quickly he works his way back into minutes. Of course, it was the ankle injury suffered while on international duty with the United States. Next chance to see him for Chelsea will be on Saturday against Newcastle. Uh, speaking of the United States, Herc, online reports that the U.S. men's national team will face Bosnia-Herzegovina December 18th in the Los Angeles Area. Is this the uh, new January friendly? Camp Cupcake! Camp Cupcake! I want to see Brian White, Jordi Mihalovic, I want to see Aaron Aron Herrera, I want to see these players. It's the new January camp, you're absolutely right. There you go, LA, you'll be uh, on the ground for it. I'm sure credentialed and everything, as <laughs> you are sure always, give me always very hardworking. <laughs> Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Speaking of friendlies, <laughs> moleros, if I have to, have to say it that way, uh, Mexico-Ecuador played Wednesday in Charlotte. Her, actually, it turned out to be a, a really, I don't know, good game, but exciting game. Entertaining game. Not yes, by yes. any means a good game. Lot of mistakes, defensive mistakes, but made it for a very entertaining game. This man, Santiago Jimenez, uh, coming here, look at that, fights with it to El Piojo. Uh, Alvarado gets his goal, but it was 
like it normally is versus Ecuador. It was lots of goals, uh, back and forth, entertaining. And as it was many years ago in Charlotte, uh, you know, Mexico came out, entertained, and put up a good game. It felt a lot, Herc, I don't know if, if you sense this, and maybe this is just the, the, the fan in me, the leftover fan in me, um, like classic Mexico, right? Like a lot of possession, 71% possession, uh, I believe. Nine shots on goal to just three for Ecuador. 19 shots to just six for Ecuador. Look and at yes, this. Look the at this, team Eddie. that was the most contundente <laughs> uh, was at the end of the day Ecuador who win 3-2. But yeah, this goal from Osvaldo Rodriguez, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, can you catch it cleaner? No, no, you can't. But his performance pretty pretty much summed up El Tri. I mean, he had a ridiculous golazo, but he was also at play for two of the three goals against. So, yep. you know, very young team, very green uh, against the Ecuador team that just you know, took advantage of the circumstances presented, the errors that they presented. Late chances for uh, Mexico to tie, couldn't get it done. Pretty good crowd in this one, by the way, almost 40,000. 39,887, the final attendance. Tata Martino had this to say uh, afterwards. Playing a game that is not on the FIFA break has its difficulties, both for the clubs that are in the middle of the tournament and for us while making the call-ups. After watching the game and analyzing the play, I think it is your job, the media, to decide whether it is convenient to play these games or not. From my point of view, they are. Okay. Um, who do I need here, Herc? I think, I think maybe I need, like, a little bit of translation of what Tata Martino was saying there, because he seems to be speaking out of both sides of his, of his mouth, no? Yeah, company man, that's what he does. He's, mm. he's trying to stay in line, protect everybody, which is what he's been doing from the beginning. I think they've been thrown under a bus, he's been trying to protect everybody. He's even been trying to defend these Juego Moleros. It's the new Tata Martino. Yeah, well, he's, he's telling the press, you guys go after the Juegos Moleros. Don't make me, don't make me uh, be the bad guy here. It is a Juego Molero, but it's a chance, Herc, to put on that uniform and not that far from a World Cup potentially impress the coach. So of the players that did play last night in Charlotte, is there a guy who you felt like made the most of this Molero opportunity? Right. I'm not going to count Piojo Alvarado because he's already one of the current guys that, mm. you know, Tata Martino keeps calling up. He knows who he is. But a Santiago Jimenez, El Bebote, Santiago Jimenez is a guy who I think has a huge ceiling, huge upside. I mean, physically gifted. He's so strong, so fast, very technical, good left-footed strike. Uh, he's valiant. He keeps with the play. Look at this goal. Evidence of that stays with it. Uh, and he's so technical in and around those tight spaces. A huge ceiling. But the thing for me is I didn't need this game, Sebi. I didn't need this Juego Molero to already know that Santiago Jimenez has this in his locker. He has this toolkit. I get to see that when he plays with Cruz Azul. I get to see that, and Tata Martino should see that when he calls him in, because he called him in not this last window, but the one before that when they played in Costa Rica, and he threw him up in the stands uh, with Johan Vasquez. He should already see this. He doesn't need this Juego Molero for Santiago Jimenez to stake his claim. You say he took advantage. Do you think he gets into the next call-up? Because I don't know that he's in the top three of the Mexico 9 depth chart, is he? Yeah, I don't know if he needs to be the 9. He's such a versatile player. I think he'd play anywhere okay. in that front in that uh, front line. Uh, but he's not a player for the immediate future, but I do think he's a player that can make a run. If we're talking about today and 13 months out from the World Cup is, I think he's a player who could definitely make that run. I'm glad you mentioned Piojo Alvarado because I thought he did play well, right. but you're right. He, he's a player that seems much closer to, to real minutes, to real valuable yeah. minutes for Mexico. Um, look, I really just want to see the great goal again. So my pick for, <laughs> for who made the Molero count is Osvaldo Rodriguez. Now, anytime you get a chance 
to put a golazo like that on the screen, you got to do it. But it's also hurt down to the position that he plays, right? He right. started the last World Cup qualifier against El Salvador. This is a guy who's who's very much in the mix. And when you think about a guy like Gerardo Arteaga, who's good, but seems to be right now on the outside of the Blacklist. national team looking yeah. in. And then you think about who your, your kind of number one guy is at that position, Jesus Gallardo. I mean, is, is he really a lockdown, absolute 100% starter at the left-back position? So uh, I think Osvaldo Rodriguez, by, by shining in this game, by having a, a great moment like that, I don't think he's that far from potentially a starting role, right? I, I think Gallardo's those grip on that job is not as secure as it maybe once was. I don't think it's not as secure as it once was. I don't think Rodriguez is threatening him like maybe you do and evidence of that were the two errors that he caused in this juego molero that actually he took part in i should say two errors he took part in that ended up being goals against granted that's a, with the likes of not hector moreno not uh not the 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 araujos of the world not the Ecate dominguez if you will even you know that's a, at least a accountable call up not with those likes this is what they i don't even want to know what a cd team but a very much u23 <laughs> team there you go. Um, in this call-up for Mexico, right, no Major League Soccer players, which saved a lot of people at the Federation a headache because they didn't really have to directly answer questions over Javier Hernandez and whether he would be included in this game in Charlotte. However, that talking point will not go away. Now, Chicharito hasn't played for the national team at this point uh, in a couple years, but the why was discussed quite a bit this week. Tata Martino called it a, a coach's decision uh, when he was asked about it. But Mexican Federation President Yon De Luisa had some very interesting comments first. That he seemed to confirm at first what Tata Martino said, but then he added more fuel to the fire, talking about internal issues and suggesting Chicharito put his own interests ahead of the group. Here's uh, a little more detail into what he had to say. There were certain things about Javier that we did not like. The part where we disagree is when there are demands that are individual and that put personal interests above the interests of the group. We will always be firm in that regard. Javier was considered by the coach. That's why he was called up and that's why he played. However, in that period, there were a series of internal things that happened that we decided to keep internal. And because of that, the coach has decided not to call him up. All of the eligible players have the opportunity to play for the national team. In the end, it comes down to a coaching decision. I've said it plenty of times. I have not vetoed anybody. So here, Herc, I really do need a translation. I also need an are you cool with Yon De Luisa's explanation of Chicharito's national team absence. No, I'm not cool with it. All he's doing is opening up a can of worms. He's being very vague about it, which leads us on this side to speculate. Javier won't talk about it. Tata won't talk about it. He opens up this can of worms when he says a few individual things, demands. Well, if we're going to speculate, because that's what he's leading to, Javier and Miguel Ayun were trying to negotiate a collective bargaining agreement that does not exist within the Mexican Soccer Federation, FMF. It does not exist within the national team. And it didn't go well. Was that what he's talking about? And then, well, he did a few things that didn't sit well with the coach. Oh, is he talking about the breach of protocol that happened a uh, year or so, a few years back, uh, where a FMF member lost his job? Is he talking about that? Is he talking about disciplinary issues? Is he talking about, is it a locker room thing? Is he talking about, is it a attitude type of thing? He's not. So as far as I know, they don't talk, everybody speculates, it's just gonna get worse.
It, it has to be Tata Martino set the record state or it has to be Javier because this is going to get ugly. If the president speaks, Herc, we should get some clarity afterwards, yes. right? And I don't think we got any more clarity on this situation after Yonde Luisa's comments. He's literally here speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He's saying it is both a technical decision, but he's also hinting at off-the-field factors. So uh, it can't be exclusively one if you're out here talking about both. Beyond that, Herc, what I would say is this is, this is continuing to make me very, very sad. Because this is how it's going to end for Chicharito, isn't it? There's not going to be a send-off tour. There's not going to be a farewell tour. The greatest goal scorer in the history of the Mexican national team is going to go off and never be heard from again. This is, this is horrible for Mexican soccer. It's horrible for Mexican soccer. It's horrible for Javier Hernandez's legacy. This is a player that when he burst onto the scene, was seen in such a different light by that same Mexican Federation, a player who scored in every single major tournament he's participated in. Your all-time leading goal scorer, the guy who waved the flag for Mexican soccer for well over a decade in Europe, Manchester mm. United, Real Madrid. And this is the way he's going to go out. This is the lasting memory of Javier Hernandez and the Mexican national team. Ooh, this is a difficult one. Yep, Chicharito clearly then in uh, Mexico's national team past. Their future seems to be very tied to Edson Alvarez, Herc, at this very moment. And you know who else wants to tie their future to Edson? Ajax. They have extended his contract through 2025. El Machin getting a, a very cool presentation with his teammates in attendance uh, at the Ajax stadium. His family there as well. People will say, okay, so this means he's going to be in Holland for the foreseeable future. Yes, true, but it could also be a step towards a bigger transfer. Absolutely. All this means is they're protecting themselves. They're, they're uh, securing a higher transfer fee. This is all this means. And this is classy. This is such a great thing to see. As a player, this is a dream come true for all your teammates to be behind you, your family to be next to you, and the fans to be in front of you while you sign a multi-year deal or a contract extension in recognition of the unbelievable season you've had or time you've had with said club. Wow. Yeah, it shows the love not just of the club to like set this up, but the fans as well, right? The, the fans, that's, that's like thousands of people there. It's almost like a presentación of a superstar. You, you can tell, and we talked about it on the show last week, they really value him as a centerpiece of the team. Not just the front office there at Ajax, but the fans too. Look at that. You seen DeMarcus Beasley made that list? What? Look at that. <laughs> legends. Speaking of outside back legends, let's run it back. Gerardo Arteaga, speaking of players uh, maybe banned from the national team, two goals for Gank. Yeah, it's a cup game uh, against a lower division squad. It's still two goals. That's four on the season, two assists. Arteaga, he may be blacklisted. Again, we don't know why he's not being called in. He decided not to go to the Olympics because due to personal reasons, you have to respect that. They did not take kindly to it. He has not worn green since. Goal's a good way to get back in the good graces, and he's got uh, two of them there. Chocolosano, the Honduran, with a hat trick for Cadiz in a 3-3 draw with Villarreal, Herc. Chocolosano, uh, Cadiz is struggling right now. They're like 18th out of 20 teams. They're fighting relegation. He's got four goals on the year, three coming in this game against Villarreal out of all teams. Last season, he was in uh, La Liga 2, he was in the second division, scored 10 goals. So, my man Choco is coming up. 
Good timing, the, too. The last first division hat trick, Herc, for Cadiz as a club. Don't say it. You know it. Oh, you know it. George Albert. No. Ooh. El Salvador's very own Mágico González. Yeah. Cadiz legend. How dare you forget. <laughs> We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. 17 years, 34 years playing this beautiful game. It has been an honor, and I hope that you know that I gave it everything I had for every single one of you. The end of the Carly Lloyd era is near. She's going to be part of this team's history, part of its past. Buelder, Carly Lloyd! Carly Lloyd! Carly Lloyd! Still in play. Lloyd in front. Carly Lloyd! going to see. She's going to come in for Carly Lloyd. Her night, her international career is over. Carly Lloyd, what a career. One last time in the red, white, and blue for the U.S. women's national team. In Minnesota, her farewell match against South Korea. She did end up playing the uh, the first half in 20 minutes of the second half, Herc. And while she did, she wore these Nike cleats. Uh, impromptu edition of, of Drippin' or Trippin'. What do you think? Those are straight fire. The only cleats that I've seen that could rival those, specifically to a player with the old school Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, excuse me. Do you remember those? Absolutely. And, oh. and they kind of have that same feel, right? Yeah, the gold. Yeah, for sure. So the U.S. Uh, really, really, all the goals that they didn't score in the first of these two games against South Korea, they saved uh, for Carly Lloyd's farewell. Lindsey Horan opened the scoring, an own goal here just before halftime. Andy Sullivan involved. She kind of creates it at the near post. Second half, the U.S. continued to pour forward. They were trying to get Carly Lloyd on the score sheet. Uh, she couldn't break through there in the 54th minute, and her, she comes off in the 64th minute replaced by Alex Morgan. Just got a huge ovation. I got I to gotta give credit. The folks in Minnesota, they gave her a proper send-off. Yeah, the folks in Minnesota do it right. Look at Carly Lloyd enjoying every single moment. Takes off the shoes as if to say she's hanging them up. Hugs Megan Rapinoe coming off. And wow, look at the emotion on her face. Such a yep. legendary career. Family in attendance. A very, very special night. Not just for Lloyd, but really for for all of American soccer. U.S. pouring it forward. Amazing pass here from That's Megan Rapino to Alex Morgan. Ball. That's a filthy pass right there. Rapino gets on the score sheet in the 85th, hammered that one home. That made it 4-0 to the U.S. They were, they were far from done, Herc. Rosa Bell getting in on the action here in the 89th with that right-footed finish to make it 5-0. And then Lynn Williams 
with Carly Lloyd applauding, would add the sixth in stoppage time. Sick pass from Tobin Heath, dropping people with the footwork. And so the final score, six nothing. Uh, no goal for Carly Lloyd. However, she does at least get the send-off win, not always a guarantee. Jill Ellis in her final game with the U.S., they tied against South Korea a couple years ago. Uh, and how about, speaking of famous send-offs, Abby Wambach uh, a few years back in her finale, they actually lost to China. So Carly Lloyd in the end does get a, a send-off victory. Let's hear her post-match speech. 17 years, 34 years playing this beautiful game. It has been an honor. I have been absolutely grateful for every opportunity that I have stepped out on this field. And I hope that you know that I gave it everything I had for every single one of you. I can't thank you enough. And that is it. I am signing off. You will not see me on the field. But you best believe that I will be around helping this game grow. The numbers, Herc, boy, they speak for themselves. Second all-time games, third all-time goals, fourth all-time assists for the U.S. women's national team. Carly Lloyd calling it an international career at 39 years of age. I did mention, though, she came out a little early in the game, 65th minute, and she came out without a goal. Herc, are, are you cool with that? I am cool with this. And by the way, I am cool with this because we don't know what discussion was had with Gotham FC, who, by the way, right now is tied 1-1, okay, in the 80-something minute, and she started. She started this game. She's still in the game. So maybe it was, hey, we're going to give Carly Lloyd a half, and he extended. Vlaco extended another 15 minutes. I'm cool with it, okay, because she had a game right now. Is Carly Lloyd cool with it? That's a different story. And I'm willing to bet, I'm willing to bet, the competitor inside her said, nah, man, I'm not cool with it. Wanted to stay until she got her goal because that's who she is. She's a competitor. And she's also not always been a forward. So these numbers are insane. She was a midfielder, converted to a center forward, had a majority of those goals come after 30, which blows my mind. This is why I know she wouldn't be cool with it. I'm watching this game. And there's a hint in the broadcast early that it may be around the hour mark. And I thought, no way, that, that can't be the truth. And as the game goes on and she doesn't score, you're like, well, they'll push it back. They'll push it back. Because clearly the players on the field, Herc, and I'm sure you've been part of games like this, were trying to right. get the ball to Carly Lloyd. They wanted Carly Lloyd to score. I was thinking, well, why not leave her on until the 88th, 89th minute? She still gets that moment. She still gets that ovation. And you give her another, what, 22, 23 minutes to, to maybe score a goal. And as you saw late in that game, that's where the goals yeah, came. You, you feel up. like she would have, you know, you, maybe she would have she would have gotten one there. So no goal in her final performance, Herc. But let's be honest, so many memorable Carly Lloyd performances over the years. And so many of them have been clutch. So let's go down memory lane here. A little history lesson. Some of the most clutch moments in U.S. Women's National Team history. Let's go back to 1991. The World Cup Final against Norway. Michelle Akers, you've heard that name before here on this show. Absolutely. She scores twice in a 2-1 victory. The win that started it all. <laughs> 1999. World Cup goals, by the way. World Cup Final. U.S. 
against China in the Rose Bowl. This is the one everybody watched. Brianna Scurry and Brandi Chastain. Scurry for the save, Chastain for the shot heard around the world. If the first win against Norway started things, that win blew things up. 2008 Olympic gold medal final. One of a few big clean sheets for Hope Solo against a very good Brazil team with Marta, if not in her prime, very close to her prime. The U.S. and the defense in front of Hope Solo playing a huge role there. 2011 World Cup knockout rounds. This isn't one game, Herc. This is the entire knockout rounds. Abby Wambach goes against Brazil in the semifinals against France in the final against Japan a couple of those in extra time she even made her penalty uh, in the final 2015 World Cup final do I even need to do I even need to say it against Japan Carly Lloyd with the hat-trick not just the hat-trick but the first 16-minute hat-trick and then of course she did it again a few years earlier 2012 we can't forget gold medal match against Japan she scores both in a two to one victory. Some amazing, amazing clutch moments in the long history of the U.S. women's national team. Which leads us to this question, Herc. Is Carly Lloyd, of all the clutch players, the most clutch player in U.S. women's national team history? Listen, anytime you have Michelle Aker's name there, it's going to dominate. I mean, she scored 10 World Cup goals that World Cup edition. Mm -hmm. uh, forget about the two that she scored in the final. She scored 10 World Cup goals in that edition. But Carly Lloyd is a different breed. Carly Lloyd does it in a way where it seems so easy in some of the most crucial moments. To me, it's Carly Lloyd and Abby Wambach, because you mentioned Abby Wambach scoring in the quarterfinal, scoring in the semifinal, scoring in the final. That quarterfinal going against Brazil was 120th minute. Uh, but I could also go Hope Solo, because I've never seen a player so dominant in their position that one-handed save she made on Martha in that game mm. in 2008 was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen but if I have to choose I'm going to take the GOAT Carly Lloyd I'm going to take the clutch moments in World Cup in the World Cup final the clutch moment in the gold medal match yeah I'm going to take the deciding factor of her being clutch for sure uh I'm glad you mentioned Hope Solo. We got to throw in Brianna Scurry as well because yeah. the goalies are clutch kind of in their own way. But if we're going off field player, the, the best comparison, the best competition for Carly Lloyd is Michelle Akers. We should probably mention her performance in the 1999 World Cup final as well. She's not playing as an attacker. She's playing as a defensive midfielder, marking one of China's best players out of the match in 100-degree weather in the Rose Bowl. So heroic performance there from Akers. But it's got to be Carly Lloyd, right? Even if you just think of across the history of American soccer, men's national team, women's national team, club, whatever. When you think of big game performance, yeah. you automatically think of those first 16 minutes in the World Cup final against Japan, don't you? A hat trick in a World Cup final, that's the definition. So, so I can think of a few moments in, in U.S. soccer history where I remember how I felt in that exact moment. Mm -hmm. Landon mm -hmm. Donovan goal, I remember how I felt in exact moment. Carly Lloyd Hattrick, the shot from half field. I remember how I felt and where I was in the, that exact moment. I was at Petco Field at a viewing party in San Diego, and that goal went in. The place went crazy. It went bonkers. I remember thinking, like, what did I just see? Like, what the hell is a World Cup final? And she hits mm. it in from half. It was an unreal goal. Uh, but then you just go down the list and look at her career, look at the huge moments she's had, mm -hmm. and it's par for the course. Yep, 2015 World Cup final, the 2012 Olympic gold medal match, the 2008 yeah. Olympic gold medal match as well. There's probably three world titles. The U.S. women's national team might have, but also might not have, 
if not for Carly Lloyd. It's pretty tough to argue that she's not the most clutch player in U.S. women's national team history. Let's keep talking uh, NWSL. Interesting news here from your neighbors, Herc. Angel City FC, who have announced they're going to distribute a portion of ticket sales back to players as a bonus. 1% of net revenue from each home game, Herc, is going back to players via the fan-fueled player fund. What do you think? Genius. This is a genius move. What salary cap? This is a way you can get around the salary cap and empower your fan base. You want our women to get paid more? There you go. Come out, watch them play. You directly impact their wallets. 11,000 season ticket holders already for Angel City FC, and they've also sold out already all their premium seats. Other great news for the National Women's Soccer League. Kansas City's NWSL team is announcing a brand new stadium, and actually they're going to rebrand we're going to get their new brand name this weekend uh, as well. This is going to be the first stadium built specifically, Herc, for the NWSL on the Kansas City waterfront. Going to open in 2024. Looks like a thing of beauty. It's just ridiculous. It's insane. It looks amazing. Huge step uh, in the league's development. Team's going to play in Children's Mercy Park in NW, in, uh, where Sporting Kansas City plays for the next couple years. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Let's go to MLS. Good, bad, ugly. Revs winning 1-0 against Colorado. That means they've set a new regular season MLS points record, Herc, with 70 Three, do you want to apologize to all the people in New England who you've ticked off when you told them their supporter shield meant nothing? Well, you told them that. Bruce Arena told them that. I just said it was an unbalanced schedule. Uh, that said, we have to give New England credit. It's historic. It's something we've not seen since 2019? 2020? <laughs> 2017? And... Okay. I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. Uh, hey, something that you mentioned on the other show, you, you kind of downplayed their success saying that New England against teams with 13 wins or more yeah, yeah, had they no did not success. Like that. No, no, like they that. didn't like that. And actually, you know, with the results of this past week, New England now has 10 games that they've played <laughs> that against teams <laughs> with 13 wins or more. Do you know what their record is in those 10 so, games? So... Are we taking the record? I see what you're doing. Okay. Yep, yep. Yeah. Because D.C., Philly, and New York City now all have 13-plus uh, wins. Obviously, They'll Colorado eventually get there. Yes. does as well. Eight, one, and one, yeah. the New England Revolution. No, but in all so, seriousness, we have to give Bruce Arena a lot of credit because Bruce mm -hmm. Arena is the man in Major League Soccer. He's created a team that was on the opposite end of the spectrum um, not that long ago to this season with – this historic season and multiple, multiple MVP candidates and a historic season for New England. Very much deserved, very much deserved silverware. Enjoy it because now the fun starts. It is a, it is a historic season, Herc. If they cap it off with an MLS Cup win, will you see that they are the best team ever in MLS history? No, I will not.
the best team ever. They've had the best regular season in MLS history. Yeah, but we've seen the best regular season for now. 19, was it 2018, 2019, 2020? I don't know. There it is. Look, it seems like the last four or five years, with the exception of the pandemic year, we're seeing this happen, and that's not a bad thing. And I don't want to diminish what it means, but there's something there. Maybe some of you guys can figure it out, some of you brainiacs. What I will say, the best team for my money is that 2017 Toronto FC team. Mm, okay. I have not seen a team so dominant, so just good in their play. The first team to win a treble in Major League Soccer. That same treble winning team under Greg Vanny that goes to the CONCACAF Champions League and they beat Tigres. Yes, that historic Tigres team. They beat America. Yes, that America, that historic America team. Only to lose in penalty kicks to Chivas, but that's neither here nor there. But that's the best team I've ever seen in Major League Soccer. That squad, that Giovinco, that's, uh, that uh, Michael Bradley, that Josie Alter, that, that Victor Vasquez, Osorio. I mean, they had three players in the CONCACAF Champions League who won Golden Boot. That team was flying on all cylinders. It's easily right now the best team I've seen in Major League Soccer. Mm. And they were motivated as well. Some, some team from the Pacific Northwest beat them in 2016 with some guy on the bench. Her name West. Whatever, whatever happened to that guy? Whatever happened? I would have been guy. guaranteed a ring that year, anyways. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> you played for uh, for both sides. All right, let's go to the bad. Her, Sporting Kansas City. Remember the uh, the dust up with Seattle to Amelia, throwing down your boy Christian Roldan. Well, the suspensions are in. Tim Mealy getting a one game suspension from Major League Soccer for the the so called rock bottom foul. Uh, <laughs> was one game enough? Uh, well, okay, context here, rumored by our very own here in ESPNFC, uh, Taylor Twelman confirmed, I shouldn't say rumored, he said that it was going to be two games, but Sporting Kansas City appealed and they turned it over, turned it to one game. Mm. I, I don't like the fact that the distance American, excuse me, says two games and all right, let's appeal it. Okay, you appealed one game. They should have kept it at two, but that said, I don't think it would make too much of a difference for Kansas City that's flying right now. So this happened yesterday when Sporting Kansas City beat the LA Galaxy 2-0. Johnny Russell scored a goal, and clearly Sporting Kansas City, they don't, they don't feel like, I think, Herc, all that bad about Tim Melia's suspension. Because let's take a look at the, at the celebration after the Johnny Russell goal against the LA Galaxy. Oh! Hey, that's not how you do the people's elbow. What's he doing? He laid the smack down, but that's not how you do the people's elbow. I'm all for this. I'm all for Sporting Kansas it. City being the bad guys. Ugly. We, where have we seen oh, FC Cincinnati back in Ugly? Oh. They lose 6-3, Herc. 6-3 to Nashville. They are last in the Eastern Conference. They are last in Major League Soccer. And they're going to be last in Major League Soccer for a third year in a row. It is awful, FC Cincinnati. That's not for a lack of trying, my friend Sebastian. I mean, three years, and they spent over $32 million, if my math is doing me right here. And they've got six players this season making over a million in guaranteed salary. Six I players. Mean, if, if there was ever evidence, her of a team that is not worthy of first division status, it is FC Cincinnati. Should they get relegated? To where? <laughs> They came from the USL, send them back there.
Maybe they could uh, win a game or two or at least keep the ball out of the back of their net. Ooh. Minnesota United and Sporting Kansas City. Big game on Sunday in the Western Conference where Sporting Kansas City right now are atop the table ahead of your beloved Seattle Sounders on goal differential and with a game in you hand. Seattle. That game Sunday on ESPN. ESPN the fourth is and streaming live on the ESPN app. Let's welcome in frequent guest on this show and sometimes host of Football Americas, Mauricio Pedrosa, who joins us from Los Angeles, just in time for the food <laughs> delivery out there. Ya llegó la cena. We got the, uh, the dogs barking in the background as well. All right, the dogs uh, barking because he's very excited for the game. Focus, though, on the weekend and what we've got with America and Cruz Azul, el clásico joven. But let's forget Club America for a second. Uh, Cruz Azul, such a great story last season. Um, but this season hasn't quite gone to plan. Are they a contender or they are a pretender, Mao, for the Liga Mekis title? No, they are a pretender right now. I, I think there's a group of teams that are probably a step or a couple of steps ahead of Cruz Azul in terms of favorites to win the title. Number one has to be America. Then I will include both Monterrey teams, Tigres and Rayados. And you have to include in that conversation Atlas and Toluca as well. You put Tigres then ahead of Cruz Azul. Azul. You put Tigres ahead of yeah, Cruz Azul. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You've been hanging no out with Herc way too much. Both Monterrey man. teams. No, no, but I mean, yeah, and, and, and it's not something that I'm proud of. That's just my daily <laughs> job. But I will say this, uh, Cruz Azul, this is the longest championship hangover I've ever witnessed in my entire life in Mexican soccer. We call it La Cruda de la Liguilla, La Campeonitis. And Cruz Azul is struggling right now. They're not, they're not clinical. Uh, Cabecita Rodriguez has had a very poor performance. He was injured, granted. But this team looks nothing like the one that won the title uh, six months ago. They've also not had the benefit of the doubt of having all their players be healthy or available at the same time. I mean, Jesus Corona ends up fracturing his elbow or his forearm uh, before the season starts. Their second choice goalkeeper goes to the Olympics. A bunch of players at the Olympics, a bunch of players at Gold Cup, a bunch of players at Copa America, a bunch of uh, uh, players injured they finally get back never at the same time you never have a first choice lineup for Juan Reynoso to actually work with I think a lot of this is circumstantial and I do think at some point muscle memory kicks in and they are a dangerous team I don't know if there's a team out there that says give me Cruz Azul in playoffs I don't mind them in mm. Liguilla I think you want to stay away from a team like that America <laughs> America will say that you say you say dangerous, but look at the knockout competitions that they've been in. Like we were in we were in Columbus for the Campeones right. Cup. They were they were terrible that night. You look at the CONCACAF Champions League against Rayados in the second leg, they just get totally destroyed, played off the field. So I don't know, man. If if Cruz Azul hasn't been good in the regular season, I don't know why you expect they're suddenly gonna be good. Players are available, that muscle memory kicks in. I would not want to face Cruz Azul. I would much rather want to face a plethora of, of other Mexican teams. Mao, we got to let you go. I got to let you get some rest because you got another shift with Hercules Gomez on Aura Nunca coming up this week on ESPN Deportes. And I know exactly how taxing that work can be. So thank you for the time. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Din dinner's still warm, so better get to it. <laughs> hey, we're going to have uh, Gabriel Slonina on Monday's show. 17-year-old super goalie. Free Matthew for the Happy. Chicago Fire. Catch the podcast. Download it on the ESPN FC feed. And we'll see you Monday on the next edition of Football Americas.